Hello and welcome to another episode of Interview with a Schizophrenic. I'm your host, Duncan Tamrasinger, and today I have the great pleasure of having Paul with me. He lives in Alberta in Canada. Uh, Paul, welcome to the show. Um, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing well, Duncan. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure, man. So and I, I just wanted to ask, um, what's the COVID situation like with you? Uh, it's not bad. It's, it's rising a little bit, but... People are still doing what they're doing. I'm still working, yeah. fortunately. So, okay. um, yeah, it's it's not bad. It's not that bad. Okay. So what I usually do is ask you how your mental health journey began. So if you'd like to talk about that, um, we might be going back a few years. Um, you know, did you go into hospital? Did you? What were your symptoms? Um, you know, how did you get a diagnosis? If you'd like to talk about that, that would be fantastic. Yeah. Um, Things started for me uh, just one day. I heard a, a voice uh, spoke to me, and I quit my job. And um, I mean, this is slowly progressing up to this, anyways. And I quit my job and uh, fasted, went on a fast pretty much because I felt that's what I was to do, and uh, stopped eating completely, fasted for like 40 something days. And uh, only started to eat because I was afraid. And uh, let me tell you, those those days were uh, hellish. It was. So w- when was this? What age were you? But I was you, about. Were... Yeah, I was about eighteen. Eighteen. Okay. Yeah, eighteen. So I, you know, finished high school and then um, was working for a bit, and then that's when it started. You know, and um, yeah, went and started going that direction, and. Uh, yeah so so yeah so i went on this fast and um after i i i I broke it because i was afraid i was gonna die and then was going for a bit um during this time though it was a lot like i've been seeing demons in my family as demons and witches and uh even before the fast um but it just intensified then and uh so after i broke it uh, i did it again and then it was after that my mom called the uh, emergency services and then they took me to the hospital and uh that's when they having me speak to the doctors and stuff they diagnosed me diagnosed me with paranoid schizophrenia uh, with delusions of grandeur so i thought it was a profit or something like that so you got a diagnosis when you were pretty young then when you were 18 19 yeah yes Okay. So, I mean, you were fasting because you were paranoid. You had a, you were going through a delusion. Um, so you just said you felt, you thought you were a prophet. So, you know, you were, that was, that's what you told the doctors, you know, that was that, that's what was going on, right? Yeah, that was going on. I, I, I was, um, I thought this voice was God, you know, and uh, for a while I've been feeling like that's what I was I'm supposed to be fasting or whatever. So, but, uh, a voice spoke to me and said, I'll give you one week. And I just interpreted that as that's what it meant because that's what's been going through my head. And, uh, and yeah, so it's just, just went from there. And it's just been a, it was a pretty dark experience. Um, mm. 
yeah, I got start having hallucinations, uh, visual hallucinations, uh, auditory, and um, yeah. So the doctors recognized that pretty quick, and and having spoken to them and telling them what I was thinking, because the voice told me that I was a prophet, and and uh, so I'm I just I was honest with them. Yeah. And uh, so you, they, you, uh, you, you know, I mean, when I look back at my own history, um, you know, I, I've done some pretty strange things as well because i believe that i was supposed to do them mm-hmm. you know is like and yeah i've had religious delusions as well where i think i've been hearing the hearing god and the devil yeah and, um yeah. you know that sort of thing that's, and that's what it was yeah it's it's really scary and kind of you're just trying to uh, just get through it and it's but yeah i mean well so it's, yeah go on it was um yeah it was terrifying because uh, everyone I saw were like demons or, or mm-hmm. witches and they were reading my mind. It's like this big conspiracy against me, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it was like, I was like the only person that was not a part of this collective, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? So it was pretty an isolating uh, situation, right? And uh, so when I'm talking to doctors, I was afraid of them because they were reading my mind as well. You know, so I was, I would speak sometimes and then sometimes the voice would tell me to not speak. So I would, I would stop talking and it was just an uh, odd, weird <laughs> situation. And so they could see that, that uh, delusion and that the way I was acting, that there was definitely, uh, not only that, was I was skin and bones by the t- when they brought me in. Yes. Yeah. You know, I so. think that's probably, I think the fact that you were not eating, yeah. that would have rang big alarm bells you know, yeah. at the hospital, they'd be like, well, you know, this is, it's not just mental, this is like life threatening here. Yes. So, so we, we've got to do something pretty quick. Yeah. Um, you know, so I, I think that probably gave you, gave the doctors a sense of urgency. Yeah. Um, I would say. So, so what happened after, how long did you stay in hospital? What was that like? I was, uh, I was on a, in a hospital for maybe some months the first time. Um, yeah. You know, they put me on these meds and so forth. And uh, once they did all this IV to get my my numbers up, um, and then one, I wouldn't eat for for a good while while I was still in there. I was just um, they started feeding me with a tube, feeding tube there. And me. yeah, so they did all that. And then after a while, I, I'm thinking I'm I can't do this fasting thing because I'm I'm being fed this to be this tube. So mm-hmm. what I did was I started eating in the in the with the purpose of just getting out so i can start doing it again and that's kind of what happened so i was out for a couple months again eating and just playing the part trying to pretend everything is good and i'm fitting in and and then eventually i'll stop and this whole thing starts over again and it was like the cycle for uh some years actually and uh yeah so so would you would you say this was this was one persistent uh, paranoid delusion that you were having you know i mean one because it seems to me that some some people with schizophrenia have multiple delusions mm-hmm. and some have one prominent powerful yes. do you know what i mean yeah um, yeah that's, think, that's what that's what it was they they, they yeah. said it was uh religiosity or something um mm-hmm. is what they called it and uh, that's why they it was explaining to me that there's a fixed delusion 
And so they, that's why they, when the meds weren't working uh, on different meds, and then they decided to try ECT, electroconvulsive therapy. So I did that like three times or something like that. And yeah. yeah. So, and after that, it was not, still didn't work. I was still on the same path. So eventually they wanted to commit me to a long-term care facility where they're going to give me a gastric uh, uh, little tube in my stomach there. So they could feed me because the tube in my nose uh, down to my nasal gastric tube wouldn't, it wasn't a long-term solution, but the way my, my health going in this up and down thing for all these years, I figure, well, they're going to have to put a hole in my stomach and feed me with this uh, tube, permanent uh, tube in my stomach. So at a long-term care facility and, um, but my mom thankfully was not uh, too fond of the idea. So <laughs> So she figured, you know what, if he goes there, I'm not, she didn't drive, so she won't be able to come visit me as often. And she doesn't know what, how they're going to treat me there. So she figured, you know what, at least she'll have me home for some time. And, you know, if I go to the hospital, they can visit me. Uh, so that, you know, uh, was, yeah, that's kind of how it worked out because it's, it was, uh, I imagine a frustrating thing for the doctors because they do all these things and I'm, everything's going okay. And then I leave and then I, some months later, I come back in the same condition as I was the first time, and they're trying different things, and nothing's working. What they do, right? So you, so did you end up in that facility then? No, no, I didn't. Um, I didn't. There was a point where, there's a point where I don't know. I, I just, I heard a voice. It spoke. Uh, you know, there's all this voice and the devil and God, and there's a another a voice spoke to me and i just said what what am i doing <laughs> you know it's like this isn't god <laughs> you know and then from that point i realized you know what man i gotta i gotta get a, I, I can't do this anymore so um i yeah from that point on is when i stopped the carrying on the cycle i realized this is this is not god this is this is i'm just being taken for a ride here so it's when I, once I was able to, I don't know why, for some reason, I cannot tell you how, why in the world I heard this voice so many times that I attributed to God. And this time I, I said, okay, it's not, you know. And so once I was able to recognize this, that there's a lie, it became easier to not continue the cycle. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? So it's like this, this, this uh, illusion that it casts over your mind and then, once you see through the illusion, then you know the power that he has. It's no longer there. Were you, were you suicidal, or did you just just didn't want to eat, or was it was oh. it suicidal as well? Or no, actually, I sh you know what I shouldn't say. I just snapped out of it like that. That's not how it went. Um, I wasn't suicidal. The fasting was to get me to a, a different state, I guess, so I can go and do what God wanted me to do. But I had to mm -hmm. go through this process. Now I became suicidal afterward when I realized that this wasn't God and I thought I'm trapped because I was thinking that God was going to set me free from these voices and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. So now when I realize that that's not God and now I'm thinking all these voices and th this hatred that I feel the world has for me and this constant torment in my mind that I, the only hope I had, the only hope I really had to continue was the, 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 the hope that I'd be delivered from it. But now that's not going to happen. And that was a terrible burden for me. So there was no more reason for me to live. And at one point, my heart started calling for like, it was like a hot 
burning sensation in there that I wanted to go and take a knife and breach it. You know what I mean? So I approached that point of suicide because it's the only way I could escape this torment and this misery, this heavy misery. I'd walk the streets of night at night crying, crying because I, I felt so hopeless and to go into this bottomless pit of despair. This is where yeah. I was, man. You know, I think um, it's, it's, it's quite a significant percentage of uh, schizophrenia patients do attempt suicide in some manner. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think... Um, it's yeah. like I was I, I was watching uh, on YouTube. I was watching an interview of a schizophrenia patient from the nineteen sixties. Yeah, and and then I read in the comments, seemingly this you know this nice young man, seemed this man committed suicide a few years when few. It just happens quite a lot that yeah. there's this the, the the amount of despair and hopelessness, mm-hmm. and you know you just you, you just look for something outside of life yeah. to to help you. Um, strong man and i was there i put, held that knife to my chest and i was ready but it's it's i'll get pretty close but it's from that moment that i i don't know something just said i as a thought i said what are you doing man like why are you doing this or it says you're a coward and i'm like why and then i realized you know because you're only here because you're afraid you're afraid that you're you're everybody's rejecting you and you're gonna and you, and you don't want to live with this this uh con and I always anxious this anxiety came over me when I was around people so I couldn't I would sweat I love being alone because I would feel better and it was a it's a it's a it's it was more peaceful being alone with the tormentors of my mind than it was being around people it was worse you know so it's a very yeah. messed up uh state would, would you say it's worse because like people, they don't, they, they, you perhaps you wanted to talk about it and they weren't. No, that no, no, because remember, I'm seeing these people as witches and as demons who okay, really fine. want to kill me. And so now they're reading my mind. All and my mind was constantly cursing, and it was like Tourette syndrome, except in my mind, I couldn't stop it. All right, I would repeat the same things, these vulgar things all the time. People, and now these are people I'm talking to, my family, my friends, whatever, and I'm saying these god awful things, and and they read it, and they'll sometimes say uh, uh, comment on what I'm this things that's come in my head. So I, would, I was always trying to stop it because I hated it, and but I couldn't stop it, and so I would get all anxious and afraid, and and just so I would just be sweating because I was so nervous trying to stop these awful thoughts. So when I was alone now, it wasn't as bad because, you know what I mean, that I wasn't so anxious. When I, the anxiousness left, the thoughts were still there constantly. I Honestly, from, from the first time this started, I never had a moment of, of quiet in my mind until I went to sleep. And when I woke up, it was right there to greet me. Every day, uh, every moment. Always my mind was going. I'm talking to somebody. I couldn't even pay attention to what I'm saying because I'm telling these voices, shut up, shut up, shut up, you know, constant. Yeah. So what, what, um, so you're 39 now. What age were you when, when this was kind of going on? Uh, man, that was from the, probably even before I started fast, that was uh, a little bit before that, actually the voice, um, speaking, repetitive stuff like that um so from that time till about maybe man i was probably like 20 
829 or uh, maybe maybe 30 or something like that when I started um when yeah till about then still things started to get better uh for me um mental wise with that voice there but yeah it was just from the start to the whole that many years constantly so what what was um I want to hear about how you um you got to a better place um so you're about 30 what 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 happened what what would uh what helped you and, and tell us about that pro- that process well like i said the 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 first thing was recognizing that this was uh it was a, a lie you know this whole fasting there's no god talking to me and telling me to do this stuff and uh, when i when going to that point of despair and recognizing that i am only interested in killing myself because one i'm really afraid of everybody i'm afraid of of just the the, the constant uh, rejection i felt so from that point i realized you know what I, I actually i said to myself well yeah i am a coward and i thought i'm not going to do this you know what i'm gonna live i'm gonna live simply because people don't want me to live <laughs> i said you know what i'm gonna if they want to kill me let them, let them kill me i'm not gonna do their job for them so that's still all this in delusion talking but that pulled me out from that brink and i just just out of sheer stubbornness really yeah. Just to be stubborn, that's the only reason why I wanted to live. And then from then, I started to really say, you know what, since that, that's what my attitude, and then it became, well, I'm not going to live in my room anymore. After That's where my old, my favorite place was. I never used to go greet my family. They'd come home. They always come to see me because I'd be hiding away in my room. So what I did now, I started to challenge all that. I used to be so anxious because I, I hate being around people. So now I realized, I said, you know what, I'm going to go and I'm going to talk to my mom. And I'm just, instead of holding back and trying to protect my, my thoughts uh, from being corrupted, I'm, I'm not, listen, I'm not, that's not me. So why am I focusing on something that's not me? So just ignore that and just go and just say hi and be, try to be normal, try to just relax. And that's kind of how things started. I just, 10 minutes, man. And it felt like after uh, 10, uh, 10 minutes a day, I did that to start. And it was such a, a uh, after I left, that's that that my presence of somebody else it was such a relief because it was so difficult to stand there and not be disturbed uh you know with anxiety and fear and so forth so i just practiced like that with my family and the more i did it the more comfortable it became over time and uh you know till i started to go outside for walks and then i started seeing people and i started saying hi to them and just just challenging the things that were pushing against me and I pushed back a little bit until, um, yeah, I kind of, you know, gained more and more, regained more and more of myself. Yeah. yeah. So um, from there, yeah, I went, uh, did that for some months. And uh, however long it was, then I went and I got a job. Only did part time at first. And it was the same thing, just in a different environment. So, this, so it was a, a whole still got it got a, all the things i did at home i had to take that and bring it on a work scene now and this is a bigger setting and it was a heavy thing but yeah. i got through it okay so um we did you find that you were alienated by your friends and family during your during your 20s when it was chronic 
I mean, but you, I think I get the impression that you wanted solitude. Um, I did. I hated, yeah. I didn't want to be around anybody. But my mm-hmm. thankful, my, my mom, my family were great, man. My family, they were supportive. My mom, especially, she fought for me. And she, she took, um, you know, the men, she enacted the Mental Care Act here where they can, somebody is not a danger to themselves or others, then they can take away, uh, have rights over that person, you know? So, Pretty much, she made decisions for me to go in the hospital because I did when I was there the first time. I signed myself out, but now when she took over guardianship, um, I couldn't do that. You know, uh, everything had to go through her, and uh, so she really uh, fought for me. You know, whatever whatever issues was, um, she took it on. My family, my sisters, and and so forth, they all came together and and, and supported me. Friends, I lost a lot of friends on the way, but a lot of it is. I rejected everyone pretty much. Um, so that's kind of, that was why I was alone from the friends, uh, like anyways. So I, I don't know how people would have, would have acted, um, in that respect. So, um, so just kind of moving to the present day, do you still have symptoms? What are you going through now? How's your life? I mean, what, what are things for you, for you like in 2020? Uh, it's pretty good, man. I'm I'm pretty much like where I was before all the foolishness started. <laughs> yeah. um, um, I uh, or further, I guess further ahead, but uh, I don't have any any of that uh, symptoms anymore. Um, I got into the I end up got in getting to the trades. Got my Red Seal electrical. Okay. Um, so I work full time. Um, have my place here. Um, live with my girlfriend. Okay, uh so we're gonna get married soon so yeah i'm 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 pretty much reco- <laughs> i'm recovered that's man. awesome man that's awesome it's, that's an awesome recovery story man that's awesome yeah you know i'm yeah. so happy for you man thanks and man. You, you, you also do a youtube channel um yes. where you produce vlogs when you talk about that yeah i you know what for a long time my family's been telling me to my mom especially you know you should write a book or you should do this and that because just looking from where i was to where I, I, I am or where I got to when she was telling me about that, it was night and day. And, you know, she, I, she gave me a, a journal that she kept and it was just reading that stuff, just how broken she was watching me going through that, wondering if I'm ever going to recover and talking to the doctor and says, is it, poss- is, is it possible for Paul to return to where he was? And she's like, no, like the doctor said, um, 99% of, of uh, oh, sorry, 1% of people diagnosed with schizophrenia recover to the point that they don't need medications. It says, your son is not one of them. And uh, just where, where it was going, that's what it looked like. I can't blame him for saying that. But, um, and me defying all that thought and gotten to where I was, uh, it was incredible to her, you know? So she said that. And I kind of said, nah, people don't want to hear this stuff, man, because it's, you know, <laughs> it, it's a lot different than what we're told and people sometimes we just listen to what we're told and by the experts or so forth and so we kind of go with that so i'm like yeah but i don't know after after some years uh of kind of rejecting that i started thinking you know i'm like i've been given this uh opportunity to take this path and recover to where they say it was impossible is it right for me to keep that to myself? You know what I mean? So I decided to 
kind of share that and kind of share the process on how I got through that my mental attitude and just kind of the, the what it took for me to regain my life and that it's not as necessarily as impossible as we're told, but yet there is hope. Even within the midst of this darkness that is uh, schizophrenia, there's definitely hope. Uh, you know, you know, I think it's so important to, you know, I'm I'm a few years older than you, but I think it, I think it's so important for those of us who've who've gone through the chronic phase. You know, we're kind of coming out the other side. You know, to to share our stories so mm-hmm. that the the youngsters, the you know the who who are just dealing with this for the for the first time in their lives. You know they mm-hmm. they've got they've you know they they've got someone to who they can hear someone who's gone through it and they don't feel so alone because yes. I think the thing about schizophrenia I think is that at, if you don't have not part of a community you can just feel as if you're the only one in the world mm-hmm. who this is happening to yeah and that that actually makes the symptoms worse yeah because because you just think this is only happening to me but if somebody else if you hear somebody else is going through similar stuff mm-hmm. you think oh, actually yeah some, yeah. You know, do you know what I mean? It, yeah. I think oh, it makes a big difference. Hundred percent. And you know what? Isolation is a killer. When you yeah. feel you're alone, and I've been there when I was I was alone and by myself, I wouldn't talk to anybody about what I was struggling with. And that's the uh, power of the illness is to keep people isolated. Once you're mm-hmm. isolated, you 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 don't get help because you you don't trust anybody, or you mm-hmm. feel so alone that no one will understand you. But we don't want to take the chance because we feel how we're going to be treated, how we're going to be looked at. So it's to, we don't want to be in that position. So it's kind of, I want to empower people to kind of put themselves out there, talk about it. Do you need help? Get help. And because when you're alone, when you're isolated, it, it takes you down a darker, uh, deeper and darker place. And it tend to go uh, spiral uh, just into a, a worse state than coming forward, getting help and kind of don't fall so far like the way I did. I almost, it, took, it almost took my life. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Paul. I think I think we can wrap it up there. Um, would you like to give the name of a YouTube channel? What I'll do is I'll put a link in the in the description of yes. this podcast. Um, so, what, would you like to give the name of the channel? Yes, uh, that's the Morning Miss Ninety Nine uh, Above Schizophrenia. Okay. Cool. Uh, right. Um, I just changed the name. It was uh, sorry. It was it was Beyond Schizophrenia, but now it's. Right, uh, above and beyond schizophrenia. <laughs> the morning myth 99, above and beyond schizophrenia. Okay, cool. So, um, what, um, do you have any particular preference of any music? Oh, uh, no, not really. I don't really listen to much music. <laughs> okay, I'll just, I'll just play some electronic beats. You know, that's it was, it was a real pleasure to, to speak with you today, Paul. Um, you know, and I think you. You know that we're we're all part of a movement to get um, the real truth behind schizophrenia out there. We're fighting against the media who kind of demonise us a little bit. Um, You know, so it's a real pleasure to speak with you. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you again for the opportunity, Duncan. Appreciate it.